0: All right. How many are ready to get to the get to the Book of Genesis today? Oh man, there's a there's a there's a mild woo in the room. What is Genesis? Remember now, Genesis is our origin story. It is the origin of our faith, really. I mean, it's the origin of everything, but our faith really encompasses uh, our our knowledge of God, our life, and it it is the origin of our faith more so than it is. Remember. Uh, a, a book on physics, or or chemistry, or biology, or even or even history. It's a book about the origin of our faith, and what we have seen so far in uh, chapter one. And again, this is it, Genesis. May not be um, there is a lot to explore and to explain in the book of Genesis. And you can tell that because I mean, every week I probably read around thirty commentaries, and 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 uh, and there's and there are more than that. So people explain. There are a lot of uh, opinions, a lot of explorations, a lot of things. We are not. It is not our goal on our in these weekend worship services to to uh, have a, an exhaustive exploration of the text. Nobody wants to get exhausted. <laughs> but. We want to look at and see, okay, Lord, as we're walking through this together, and I kind of just, it might be a slightly more personal, but as I'm praying and studying through, Lord, what do I feel like I am supposed to emphasize uh, for our people and for this season as we're in this text? Does that make sense? And so here's what we've seen so far. Genesis chapter 1, creation is God's desire and His design that God is creator and that he created heaven and earth in artistic brilliance, and he blessed it and he commanded abundance. We saw in Genesis 1 that the climax of creation is mankind made in his own image and likeness. Then in chapter 2, we ask the question, what is heaven's design for humanity? How should man, the image bearer, how should man live in God's world? And in Genesis 2, we saw several things about the, what God's fundamental design for humanity includes, first of all, vocation, a calling, work, productivity, that God made human beings. To not just to be, not just to exist, but to create, to accomplish, to do. That man was put in the garden to tend it and to care for it. There was a calling upon the, upon man's life. And when we recognize that, we say, hey, wait a minute Then, then. Then all of us as human beings are called and equipped to accomplish, to do. Your life has purpose. And you have and you have a sense, a calling of, of of things to do, and that means that every 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 effort, every activity that we do is God word is is valuable. It is worthwhile, and your work is essential. Yes. And it is it it is inhuman to say otherwise. We aren't trying to pick political fights, but if there is one, then let it defend itself. Because the scripture says that God made man to be productive and that God is, God is pleased with the work of man's hands. We also see that man was designed for liberty, for freedom. It's okay, you can say freedom. God, that's God's idea. He said, he, put, he puts man in the garden and he says, eat from whatever tree, freely go about the place. It, this is yours. God, God created man in his image because God is free and God made man a free moral agent to explore and to become and to discover. But we also see that God made man for, with boundaries vocation and liberty but with boundary that God put measures in place actually to protect the former things that boundaries are in place to protect liberty and vocation but finally we saw in chapter two of all the things that the Lord said was good and we read it in chapter one that he, he God made this and it was good and this was good and that's good and that's good and the other thing's good and then it was at the end of it it was very good but then in chapter two we' get to a point where God for the first time we read in Genesis, where something is not good, and it is not good for man to be alone, to be isolated. We see that man is made for fellowship, for community, yeah. and that. And then Genesis two ends with a, this depiction of humanity, vulnerable, open, trusting one another, living in fellowship with God. So then gen- Genesis three we pick up, and the question is, what? went wrong what went wrong now again this this is in one of those chapters that can there are many things that can be explored but we want to try to say lord what is it that you're pressing upon us today in the time that we have So let's look at what went wrong, and we'll look with section by section. First of all, let's look at the first five verses, serpent speech. Would you all say serpent speech? Here we go. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? How many you recognize right away that is not what God said? Okay. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you'll die. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. First question is, what was that serpent? Who that snake now, Genesis, as we're reading it, in if, if we were reading it in real time, we would say, well, wait a minute, where does this snake come from? Who does snake? What's this all about? But we aren't. It's not written in real time. Everybody who's ever read Genesis has read it in hindsight. Right. And you and I have, are reading it in, with the most hindsight of anybody because here we are at this at this there's nobody is in the future right now right so we're reading this in hindsight and that's on purpose we have the capacity to look at it through the lens of scripture and what we know through is, is, is that Scripture identifies that serpent. Even if Moses, even if the narrator there in Genesis doesn't tell us outrightly, the rest of us, as we read it in hindsight, we know what's going on. John the Revelator makes it very clear. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called? The devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He says it again in chapter twenty, and he took the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. We understand, and that this isn't the only reference in Scripture, but we we understand that what is that somehow what has happened is this is an expression that this is the the work of Satan. Jesus tells us, and and, and John is still writing now in his gospel, quoting Jesus as Jesus is addressing uh, religious leaders who are also talking about God. See, the snake is talking about God. Now Jesus is speaking to religious leaders who are also talking about God and misrepresenting him. He says in John eight forty four he says, You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father's. He was a murderer from the beginning. How is he a murderer? By introducing, by sowing the seeds of deception, he becomes complicit in the death of man. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks From his own nature, because he is a liar and the father of all lies. Serpent speech. Listen to what the serpent says. The snake in the book of Genesis, we say that Genesis has the origin of all things, I want to say something, I want to say it carefully so don't get offended. I don't think you will, but I'd be probably more offended than you if I heard heard someone say it. The snake is the first theologian. That's not a slam on theology, but he's the first theologian. He's just a bad one. What do you mean, Dav? He is talking about God, but not to him. He comes to Eve and and begins to talk about God and he begins to engage in analysis in a way that circumvents obedience. Did God really say that? I don't know. Are you sure? Let's and and we get the, this 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 in the garden is the beginning of theology that talks about God in a way that seeks to minimize trust in his word and place our judgment over the top of it. And we see that in uh, throughout history, at different times and seasons, probably uh, it, what, what always rings my bell is again uh, the 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 German school of theology thought that came about the same time as Freud and Darwin came about, and they began to say, you know what? Maybe all the miracles in the Bible are myths. Maybe all of that's made up. Maybe we shouldn't trust the history of the Bible, the miracles of the Bible. Maybe the authors of the Bible didn't know what they were talking about. Let's talk about God. Let's uh, let's Let's engage in analysis and reject trusting obedience. The snake engages directly in seeds of mistrust. He he seeks to question the goodness of God's boundaries. Eve Eve recognizes that God has placed boundaries in the garden, but but Satan comes to question, to question the goodness, the soundness of those boundaries. And he wants Eve, this is is the deal, he wants Eve to make her own boundaries. Oftentimes when we're talking about the, the Garden of Eden... Uh, when I'm talking to my Old Testament students, I'll, I, wanna, I want them to know that this is not a story about a magic banana. It wasn't a magic banana. It was... God, Adam and Eve already had a moral awareness... They already had a moral awareness. It wasn't that they had, that they had that their the canvas of their conscience was blank. They already had a moral. How do we know that? Because Eve already said, "No, we're not supposed to do that." Right. She already had. Listen, she already had an awareness of what this is so c- crucial. She already had an awareness of what God said was right and wrong. The snake comes to say you should decide. To take from, to eat, in this case, to to take and eat from the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not to come to an awareness of of morality, it is to say, I decide what's right and wrong. I reject God's good boundaries and I decide. And from that day on, whenever humanity rejects God's good boundaries, whenever they reject a trusting obedience and engage in their own rebellion, in their own decision, every time we say, I don't know if, if I know what God says, I know that that's probably what's right, but I'm going to decide. Every time we say, I decide, we bite. Every time we say, I know that God, that, that, that somehow the, the Bible has certain parameters with regard to the sacredness of human sexuality. But you know what? Maybe, it's, maybe it doesn't have to be that way. Maybe we can explore. Maybe there should be fluidity. Maybe we should, I'll decide what's right and wrong. I know that the Bible talks about the sanctity, the sacredness of human life. but I, But you know what? Babies can be rather. Uh, Interrupt of our They can interrupt our schedule We will decide whether they Should live or die We decide Up until this moment The compass of their morality was God's goodness Trusting in God's good boundaries But the invitation of the serpent is to say, no, reject God's boundaries and choose your own. And the empty lie, the empty promise was that if you'll do this, you will become like God. She already was. She was made in the image and likeness of God you know it's so important that we church folk if you're a, if you're a church boy or a church girl that you lean into this because eve was a church girl she's born in church for crying out loud this is not a story about some you know rebellious girl you know and wearing makeup and miniskirts out there you know <laughs> out there the, out there in the street somewhere tempted to do a bad thing This is Eve, made in the image of God, living in Eden, walking in God's presence, and the enemy comes and says, you should reject, you should question God's good boundaries and make your own. You should decide. And this is temptation. This is why, church, we should pay attention to this passage, because temptation is always the offer of an empty promise that will compete with God's promise. With trusting obedience, with God's goodness. Here's the goodness of God, which prompts our praise and enlists our obedience, God's goodness. This, this is more than a slogan. We do, we slap it on walls and on things. God is good, and because he is good, we pray. Because he is good, we praise. And because he is good, we trust him and obey him. Yes. But the serpent says, he's not good. You should make your own mouth. So every time humanity decides for itself, it bites. We pick it up in verse 6 and we see the progression of temptation. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. First of all, we see the progression. She saw it, she desired it, she took it. This is the progression of temptation and sin. But I think it's important to pause and take a look at something here. It's, it's, I think it's important that we recognize the beginning of the power of a woman's influence in Genesis. And I say the power, not the danger, <laughs> but the power. Yeah, I was raised in Sunday school. I know the bumper sticker theology that's usually attached to this. Well, Eve, Eve was deceived and she did it, her fault, bad. Hey, at least Eve argued for a minute. at least at least she offered a rebuttal. What did Adam do? Okay. Come on. But, I, but it, what, what's, what, you, what we should see here is that it's the that there's a, that the woman's influence has a bearing, has a gravity on the direction of humanity. Come on. And what we should see there is the potential. This is why this is I shouldn't say this is why but this is one of the reasons why it's such an encouraging thing to see these ladies gathering for prayer and raising up their voices and saying no to sin and ungodliness and calling out the immorality of of, uh, of 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 human sexuality that has gone afoul and the slaughter of the unborn, women should raise their voices because God has given women influence and power. We see it from the very beginning. My son was telling me, he said, "Dad, I saw that," and then he said, "I was thinking about the rest of the Bible." Man, they sure made a lot of this. They they steered the ship all over the place. They sure did. And so instead of just submitting to the bumper sticker nonsense of, well, look what he did. We should hear, hey, wait a minute, ladies. God, we see that God has done something. You have been given the ability to steer and to influence society for good or for evil. Do something with it. You should feel encouraged. You should feel empowered. You can change this world. The other thing we see right away is that uh, uh, Eve doesn't sin by herself. They decide to sin together. Yeah. Humanity likes to do that. Yeah. Not only am I going, not only am I going to just decide what's right and wrong. I'm going to get a bunch of other people to decide with me. Right. Then we're going to march. Then we're going to march. We can't all be wrong. Adam and Eve. Look, there's just the two of us. We can't both be wrong. (laughs) They decided together. Let's sin together. They came into agreement. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves waist coverings. Now I know you're so used to this passage; it seems so familiar that you can't even chuckle when you read that. But you should. You should chuckle. They sewed fig. Have you ever tried to sew a leaf together? (laughs) Imagine just slow down and think. Wait a minute. Fig sewing cover that doesn't work. That is that is foolish and futile, and that's the point. It is foolish and futile to try to cover your own shame. We see that their eyes were opened to their to their shame. There was actually, that we can tell in the text, nothing actually different about them except for their perception. The first thing that sin fractures is how we see ourselves. They they no longer even saw themselves as made in the image of God. They were ashamed of who they were. And they sought to cover themselves in the most futile, futile and foolish way. And now... Not only do they seek to cover themselves, but then they hide from God. Look at verse 8. Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and he said to him, Where are you? He The man. Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. We need to hear again the progression. They heard and then they hid. Where once they had freedom, now they are bound by fear. Where once they had the freedom of the entire garden, because they thought when they said, I'll decide, now their life has been reduced to the size of the bush they're hiding behind. Their impulse is now to hide from God. Friends, this is what sin does. Sin will cause us to act foolishly and futilely. Sin will then distance us. Sin will begin to sow suspicion, cause shame and distance between us and God. But I want us to see that in this passage, who goes looking for whom? Who goes looking for whom? It would be tempting, I suppose, for us to reimagine the story that, that you know man sins and then in desperation he begins to cry out for God and God says, la, 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 can't hear you, la, la, la. That's the opposite. Our sin causes us to withdraw in shame and fear. But God has never stopped saying, where are you? In verse 11, we see the, the progression from sin to shame to blame. Verse 11, it says, And he said, Lord God, who told you that you were naked? The idea here, and again, reading it in hindsight, reading it as, a, as people who would have been reading later, nakedness would have been something to be embarrassed of and shamed of, right? That would have been extremely cultural. They were naked bad. Okay, naked shame. But God says, who told you you were naked? Who who introduced shame to you? I didn't. I didn't introduce that shame. <laughs> you see the futility of deciding? I decide. I'll be like God. I'll make my own boundaries. And And, and instead of God's goodness, we have shame. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, listen, the the woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. It's her fault. But And then the, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. We see the progression that sin leads to shame, and then shame leads to blame. But and, and listen to how, how the voice of blame expresses itself. Adam, Adam decided. He decided. No one tricked him, no one forced him. He decided to sin. But the first, but he says, it's her fault. But actually, God, it's your fault. You did this. See, shame, blame becomes the voice, the sound of rebellion, of weakness, and of victimhood. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. I'm going to blame anyone else. So the progression of sin to shame to blame, we see now what it's done is that it has divided it, it, where, where chapter 2 left us with this, this place of unity with, among humanity with God, now man is hiding from God, blaming God, angry at God, and blaming one another for their misfortune. The God's gift of fellowship has been perverted and poisoned by sin. Well, in verse 14, we pick up the consequences. Of all of this. Now, but I want to. But before we walk through some of these consequences, I kind of want to give a spoiler. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to present a point of consideration even before we walk through it. Two points. Number one, we see in Genesis that we are free to choose. Right, right. That humankind is made as free moral agents in the image of God. We are free to choose, but we are not. Free from the consequence of our choices. We are free to choose, we are not free from consequence. We don't get to protest consequences. We don't get to throw a fit, we don't get to vote against them, they are gods. But we will see that even though consequences are real, mercy will have the last word. The Creator is the Redeemer. Yes, Hallelujah. We will see even in this, in this destruction and sadness, the goodness and kindness of God. So here come the consequences. God, God begins with the serpent, but listen to this. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you've done this, cursed are you more than any of all the livestock and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust and dust shall you eat all the days of your life." But I want you to hear something about verse 15. Because right in the middle of, oh, no, it's all going bad. Here comes the consequence. Here comes the curse. Here comes the wrath of God. In the middle of it is the promise of redemption. Yes. And in the middle of it, in the promise of redemption, is, is, the, is not only Jesus the Redeemer, but he, listen to what God does again, again for the women. Verse 15, and I will make enemies of you and the woman. I know, so often we hear that and we think, Oh well, yeah, boy, she's she's going to get chased around by a snake. No, 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 no. <laughs> listen, women, listen, hear, hear it this way instead. God said from this point on, the woman's going to have a score to settle with the devil. Come You have a score to settle. Yeah. You have a destiny. You have an assignment. Yeah. Yes. You are not. You are not uh, the, the 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 shrouded victim. Come on. You have a score. From this point on, you're going to fight. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so many, so many of you in the room know this fight. 'Cause you fight for your kids and you fight for your community and you fight for your family, you fight for your friends. You fight for your 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 Christian brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Call an intercessory prayer meeting when there's a problem and count the ladies that come. Yeah. Yeah. And colloquial we'll say, Well that's because you know prayers for women folk no it's not right. it's because they have they're in a war and they have That's a score right. to settle yeah. right.
1: yeah.
0: it's why when when it's real when it gets too much for me when i'm overwhelmed the alarm that i pull the the person I reach for is the woman God gave me. Yeah. Not just my wife. I need someone who was born for a fight. Yes, that's good. Wow. Ladies, I want you to hear something in Genesis. Please don't, please stop letting robed, bearded reformers tell you that you're a second-class citizen. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That is not the purpose of this story. Yeah humanity got in this together and and humanity has a calling and a destiny because yes. of it I'm going to make enemies of you and the woman just just that just that phrase I'm going to make enemies of you yeah you're in a fight but you're not a victim
1: That's right,
0: That's right. you're not a loser here's and here's the deal <laughs> and of your offspring and her and her, her your offspring and her descendant. And I like the New American Sanders not afraid to capitalize stuff. And her descendant. Right away in Genesis three fifteen, the Lord God singles out one person. Yeah, here we go. Come on. He said, "I'm gonna. There's gonna be. A, there's a fight coming between you and the snake. But all. But the fight's gonna come to a head with one person. Come on, come on. Somebody say somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. The Christmas music starts right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right here, Christmas music starts right here. Mm-hmm. Oh, come let us! <laughs> I mean, it's all bad. They're they're going to lose everything. But right in the middle of, of 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 like of the consequences, there's the promise of a redeemer. And of her her descendant, somebody's coming and and, and he shall bruise you on the heel. He's going to step on you. Hallelujah. You shall bruise him on the heel. The Lord God deals with the serpent. He says, somebody's coming. And again, we read this in hindsight in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. We hear this. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Do you hear that? Jesus did not come to sock the devil in the eye, but to destroy him. So that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And the rest of that says that he frees us from the fear of death. First John chapter 3, verse 8. John says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Genesis 3 15, 1 John 3 8, to destroy the works of the devil. To the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your chain and pil- childbirth. I can't explain that. He says, in pain, you'll deliver children. All I know is that uh, it doesn't say that he's going to introduce pain. Apparently, it was never a wonderful experience, but he says it's going to increase. I, I, I know from having observed it that that, that happened. <laughs> but the, the other half of 16, uh, again, needs a little bit of massage here. It says, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Too often, folks, again, slap an easy bumper sticker on that, and they say, oh, yeah, there it is. Bubba and Zeke interpret verse 16 to say, yeah, and the woman, I'm in charge. I'm rule over you. Bring me a chicken pot pie. That's not what it says not an imperative. what it says is this: your desire will be for your husband and he shall rule over you well the the, 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 the syntax, the great the, the Greek the, the the grammar there the Hebrew but the grammar there probably it sounds like this that where there was once peace now there will be a competition and a desire for dominance. There will be friction where there was once unity. Where once in Genesis 2, Adam and Eve lived together in harmony and without shame and vulnerability and trust and openness. And he says now, but because of sin, there's going to be this competing desire for dominance. But don't answer yet. This is this not Genesis 3 is not a marriage seminar. I mean, there's only a man and a woman there, so that's all we're talking about. But we need to understand that we're talking about Humanity. Humanity itself, it has since this point, engages in a struggle for dominance. Man and woman, language, people of different languages, people of different ethnicities, people with different amounts of melanin in their skin, and they engage in conflict and in in dominance over one another. And there's friction where there was once unity because of sin. All because man said, I'll decide. But again, that's why we introduced this. The creator is redeemer, and there is hope. Yep. Because we read this in hindsight, thank God. Because Christ redeems all of this. Christ redeems the, the male and female relationship by calling us to live out, to 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 emblemize, to live out the unity, the relationship between Christ and the church. And Christ redeems, Christ enables us, mankind, to live together, to love one another as he has loved us. As we follow Jesus Christ, he displaces this competing desire to dominate and replaces it with a desire to honor one another and to serve one another. This is the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. Okay, there's more. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten eaten from the tree. Now again, Please do not let Zeke tell you, they're saying that never listen to your wife. No, that's not it, Zeke. It's be Adam, because you listened, you, you, gave, you, you leaned in to a voice of someone other than God. You listened to the voice of, of humanity's failed, flawed, own reason, instead of trusting in the goodness of God. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. With hard labor you shall eat from it all the days of your life. Both uh, thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Not that there was never work before this, but Adam's work before this had a sense of God's blessing on it. It had a sense of joy on it. But now, here's the thing, you got to see this. What Adam did was he made an idol out of the thing that God said he was supposed to take care of. So be, in other words, because you have chosen, you have chosen this the this thing, this tree of life, this a tree of knowledge of good and evil above God's goodness, then you're going to discover just how empty your idolatry is you will you will find that what you that that what you you reached for something other than the goodness of god and you will discover that what you've reached for is hollow and empty and valueless and as long as humanity continues to chase after the idolatrous things of the world humanity will continue to discover that it is nothing but sweat It is nothing but a grind, and there is no value in it. The only value we have is to live for our Creator, and then to take everything that we are, and everything that we do, and every drop of sweat, and every effort of thought, and make it an act of worship. That is meaningful living. Verse 20 says, Now. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living and the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Do you hear this? The Lord has mercy on them and in kindness covers them. Now this, of course, anticipates our redemption in Jesus Christ, that we are no longer covered with shame, but we will be clothed in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I'm glad you responded. That's a good place to give God thanks right there. It anticipates what God will do for us, but also, if we can just give it a moment in real time, it also is just God being kind. It is God saving them from their foolishness and futility. Even in the moment, they do not—they aren't—they aren't left to the futility and the foolishness of their own works and it also tells us god wants us to wear clothes thank you jesus there it is genesis it's god's will that you are clothed verse 22 then the lord god said behold the man is now has become like one of us knowing good and evil and now he might reach out with his hand and take the fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the men out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. That's how it ends. Now, how many would like me to explain all of that last part? I'd like you to explain it to me. <laughs> Genesis doesn't explain it; it just says that it is. But and uh, and so we, I mean, we can look at the history of cherubim and all that kind of thing. But the idea is that sin causes the loss of life, and that it what it looks like. What we're left with, if we stop right there, if we didn't have the benefit of hindsight, it would look like that sin has cost us everything. We have no more hope. It looks like because of sin. We are we are left to ourselves and we are and we are going we, we, we came from the dust and to dust we shall return and that's it and there's no more hope. But that's not the end of the story. The story here ends with man being driven away, but the real story is that God in Christ has come to seek and to save. The real story is this, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. For us, Jesus Christ is this tree of life and that all who come to Him believing shall live. Yes. But what do we learn from what went wrong? Well, we see that the root of sin lies in mankind's decision to choose for ourselves what is good or evil, right or wrong, instead of trusting in the goodness of God. It's not that we that we can't explore and identify and even appreciate the wonder of God's boundaries. He's not saying don't ask questions. Enjoy explore the goodness of God's boundaries. See how beautiful God's boundaries are. But honor them. Proverbs 14:12 says there is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. It is. And listen church church person, <laughs> You're going to you you are if if Adam and Eve in the garden can come up against this, then you can come up against it too. You can come up against the, the 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 pause to say, I wonder if I should trust in God's good boundaries or second guess God and decide for myself. When we reject God's way, we will always not only forfeit God's best, but rejecting God's good boundaries will ultimately always lead to great loss. Self rule sounds so promising. But you are not your own. You did not make you. You will break you. Too often, people we reason with ourselves and we justify our choices and then we gather others with us like Eve did to join us in doing what we think feels right. But when we choose for ourselves, we bite. And when we bite, we have shame and then we have blame and then we have consequences and sin's power and penalty are real. But aren't you glad that the angel said you should call his name Jesus? Yeah. You call his name Jesus. Not just so that you'll have your best life now. Not just because you need a genie in a bottle. There's one thing that you need. He shall save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ is the one who will save us from sin's penalty and sin's power forever. And Not only that. But His grace, it saves us, and then the grace of Jesus Christ, as we live in vital contact with the Holy Spirit, He reorients our lives to live after the goodness of God's boundaries. Listen to how Titus describes it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously in a godly manner in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. So, how should we respond to Genesis three? Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer when we close. I think that we would be remiss if we didn't pause and say, Lord, I would you show me right now, but you you may not even need him to tell you we need to say lord i repent for trying to choose for myself i repent lord when i ignore when i reject your good boundaries and i decide for myself when i choose to analyze your word instead of obey it, lord we repent for thinking we may may know better than you. We ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us our sin. Lord, your word promises that if we will confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us, Lord, as we live under the influence of your spirit to live for righteousness and to be an influence for righteousness on those around us. Instead of teaming up to disobey, Lord, let us encourage and and strengthen and exhort one another unto good works. We want to follow Jesus together in vital contact with your Holy Spirit
1: take me back to the garden take me back to the moment I heard your voice take me back to communion lead me back i
0: chased away but the story has ended with God drawing us near if you're thankful for that can we give the Lord an offering of thanksgiving we thank you Lord we thank you Lord we thank you Lord we thank you Lord Lord. friends I bless you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ Have a fantastic Sunday. Be kind to someone on your way out. Maybe find another donut hole and a cup of coffee on your way out as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great day.